Hi, this is Deacon Mary, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. I want to continue in our series on fear today, and I begin by just commending to you the gospel because I'm not going to talk about it. So it's a great one. I love it. Uh, I want to talk today instead about Psalm 23, a psalm that we know so very well that I think builds so beautifully on the topics that we have covered over the last three weeks. If you remember, first we talked about how fear speaks for itself, and we talked about worry and anxiety and how those come and affect us so regularly. Then we talked about how fear just takes and takes and takes and takes. And today, I want to talk about the valleys of fear that we walk through. Now, there are many ways in which death has the darkest of shadows. It often strikes the greatest fear in us because it's the one valley that we all have to walk through. There's this old story about a mother who... uh, Shortly after she gave birth to her son, went to a nearby village to the wise man because she wanted the old sage to look and predict his future. So the man took the baby and he looked at it and he turned it around and he said, well, one thing I can tell you for sure, this baby too will die. Thanks for that. So unhelpful. The truth is there are no exceptions. And Psalm 23 helps us to walk some of that journey. But interestingly, death isn't what these familiar words are talking about. In the Hebrew of the original poem, it literally means the valley of the deepest, darkest. That's what it means, the valley of the deepest, darkest. So while death may be the last shadowy valley that we pass through, it's not the only one that we'll pass through. Life has lots of other valleys that we will walk through. Now, just a word about shepherding very quickly here. (coughs) Shepherds in the mountainous areas would uh, keep their sheep at home throughout the winter area. They were kept in a pen, and they would be fed grain in the wintertime. But when the snow subsided in the higher mountains, they would take the flocks, they would move them out of the pen, and begin to move up the mountainside, finding the fresh pasture land, and eventually moving above the timberline. And above that timberline is where you find all the really green and uh, beautiful pastures. The air was clean. The water was clear. They say, and I suppose you could argue, that the shepherd is imagining for the sheep. He knows what exists up there. So he's imagining on their behalf to take them up there. And so he has to have this sense of excitement as he prepares to go out of the pen and up the side of the mountain Of course, that journey is not always an easy one. There are sheer cliffs. They have to snake their way up a circuitous route, and there are canyons and valleys, and the only way that it can be done is, of course, with the shepherd, and even still, it is very dangerous. There are floods. There are predators. There are risks of falling off the edge of a significant cliff, being injured, if not killed. 
And there's still this wonderful part of it. The shepherd always goes with the sheep. In fact, the shepherd doesn't go home. He takes them up there. He stays up there. It's the shepherd's responsibility to care for them, to know the canyons and the valleys they're going to pass through, to scout out where the dangers are. And though it is still dangerous, go with them through it all. Now, I don't think I need to tell you about the deep and dark valleys of the human experience because it's actually something that we all have in common. We have different experiences, but we have all experienced those same dark valleys. We don't call them by the same thing, though. Some of us refer to walking through the dark valley of failure or to the valley of broken relationships or there's the valley of sickness. Maybe you have experienced the valley of divorce or the valley of the shadow of robbery or bankruptcy or betrayal. There's a valley filled with shadows called unemployment and another one labeled addiction. There are valleys that are called assault, depression, and of course death. Some of these valleys are very difficult at the time, but once we get to the other side, once we've passed through them, they don't often seem quite as bad. In fact, these are the valleys that we talk together when we get we talk about when we get together as, with, with each other. We compare our experiences there. We talk about those valleys and we say, you remember that time that we got accused that we were cheating at school, but we weren't cheating really, and the teacher came down so hard on us and we got a bad grade and there was this criticism, it was so painful. But you know it was okay. It ended out okay. Because You got through it. You can remember and talk about it now. But there are some valleys that are difficult to talk about. They are, in fact, so deep. They are so dark that even though years have passed, it's hard to come up with the words to describe them, and we have to fight back our emotions when we think about them. Like the dark valley of the death of a child, Or the valley of the indescribable shadows of a marriage that was thought to be for a lifetime, but instead crumbled and shattered and fell apart. Or the valley of a terrible, inexplicable illness, one for which the pain has no words. Or of seeing someone you love with all your heart walk through that valley with all the disabilities and disappointments therein. You don't have to have your own valley. You can walk next to somebody sometimes, and that is equally painful. There's the valley of crime that victimizes us in unspeakable ways, and even though it's a painful memory, memory, it's never to be discussed. These are the valleys that we fear, and it's in their depths that we are frightened that life's happiness will be snatched away from us, taken forever. That some horrible experience <clears throat> that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that has happened has robbed us of the happiness never to be regained. And it's a one-way path and there's no going back and we are stuck. There seems to be this inevitable part of everyone's experience. And it's sometimes that when we are in those valleys that we ourselves or someone comes to us and quotes the words of Psalm 23. And we take special comfort 
that though we are walking in that deep and dark place, we can fear no evil because he is with us. But what we tend to sometimes not do is connect that valley part with the rest of the psalm. We forget that he guides us, that he leads us in paths of righteousness. We forget that these paths are good and that though they tend to go through deep and dark places, it's not because we've done anything wrong. It's not a kind of punishment. In fact, it's precisely oftentimes because we have been on the path with the Lord that we find ourselves in those hard places because we've done the right thing. Hard things are happening. And lest this become too depressing, let's take special note that the deep and dark valley is never the destination. It's just a part of what is happening along the journey. The words were very carefully chosen for this psalm, and I hope you note that. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through it, not to it, where we set up camp. There is high ground on the other side. There is always an ultimate destination for those who are in the Lord. And so we see the intent of God. The experience that many of us have had personally, that he has gone with us through those dark valleys and that there is a brightness on the other side that we walk towards, we struggle towards, we climb towards. And maybe even now, as I'm reminding you of those experiences, you're like, yeah, that's right, that's right, I remember that. I have experienced that myself. The truth is that people make it through discouragement through divorce, through sickness, and through a host of other difficulties, even death. We make it through those things, but it sure can be scary, really scary along the way. And like the other sermons in this series, I'll confess to you again that I personally find fear a very easy thing to come by. There are some things that I do poorly and some things that I do well. And when it comes to getting scared, well, that's something I'm really good at. I find that when I enter into some experiences, I pretty much think of everything that could go wrong in that experience. There have been a number of nights that I have been on this campus by myself, and it's been late. Now, When we're here Sunday morning and the sunlight's coming through the stained glass windows and you're all here and we're singing, it seems like a very happy place. But when I'm alone, late at night, this place can be a little creepy. I can start imagining how many places there are for bad people to hide and jump out at me. And then I forget that there is this shepherd who is here to care for me. There are lots of reasons, in fact. Fear strikes at our heart like that. There's fear because of past experiences, because we have been there. We know what can happen because it has happened. And the horrors of yesterday come back to the surface. And it can be a repeated experience. And if it's not an experience, then it's ignorance. We wonder and have those panic attacks, thinking of all the things that could go wrong and everything that could happen to us. And sometimes we fear evil just because there is evil in the world. It's not a figure, a, a figment of our imagination. It's reality. It's not because we're paranoid. 
is because we live in a world where bad things happen all the time, even to good people. And I would love to say that I could take all those fears, write them on a piece of paper and hold them up and look at them, write through them and say, enough is enough. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil and you will not have control of me, fears. I would love to be fearless in the face of all those dangers and to have that delight to go into the danger, danger, danger places, the scary places, the creepy places and not be afraid. And to that idea, I ask, is it possible? Is it possible to live fearlessly in a world where evil so often seems to have the upper hand? And I will tell you, yes, I think it is possible. I think it is possible to live that way because we have this choice. We can either assume full responsibility for every problem of life or we can trust the shepherd. Did you hear that? You can either assume full responsibility for every problem of life, don't do it, or you can trust the shepherd. We can make the assumption that the shepherd knows the way through the valleys, that he has in fact checked it for those scary people. And that in those moments when we are in them, in fact, is also the same moment when the shepherd is the closest to us. In that deep and dark place, he has promised to take care of us. That's what Psalm 23 is saying. So let me just continue to be vulnerably honest with you about this. I can tell you from my own experience that I have seen this kind of trust and fearlessness in many of you. I have seen men and women in this congregation walk through evil that I don't want to even think about. And yet we're strong and fearless. And I have personally experienced it myself. There have been times when I have been lost or away from home and panic has struck in my heart. And I, though I was alone, I have experienced the wonder of the comfort of the shepherd. There have been situations in my home and with my family that have brought me to the point of worry that I don't even have words to talk about. And it's in those same moments that I have also discovered that there is this shepherd who is there with us, telling me that it's okay. I can be calm because of him. I have wept with you and for others who have experienced the horrors of circumstances, and I have felt we're somehow responsible, that I've got to do something to help. And yet I have also known in those exact same moments that their needs, your needs, have far exceeded my capacity and so I have taken those tears and I have given them to trust in that shepherd. So in my own extremely limited way, I know what it's about to fear no evil. But I also want to be candid and say that it is often not like that for me. I forget that the shepherd is there. And then I reach and I take those problems that just a moment ago I let go of. I claim them back as my own. I hold them very close and I struggle with them. And I let my imagination run wild. I worry myself about evils that endanger me and those I love. And what I need to do, in fact, what we all need to do is trust the shepherd.
Now, as I, even as I say that, I can hear the counter-argument. And so let me assure you of something here. This is not the power of positive thinking. I'm not trying to give you some manipulative self-talk, some mantra that you can say in your head. This is not some yoga technique here, okay, guys? This is the hard reality that I will fear no evil because the shepherd is with me. It's believing what is absolutely true, that the Lord is God, that he is in charge, and that he is in control. I know those things to be true even though I may not be able to see him. I know he's close. I know he's, he understands. I know he's figured it out. He is greater than your greatest difficulty, whatever that is. <clears throat> he's more powerful than the most horrendous evils you see on the news or have experienced. He is there. He keeps his promises. He really does, even in those dark valleys. And faith is the conviction that the Lord will do the job as the shepherd that he was supposed to do, that he will do what he is capable of doing, that he will keep us safe, and that he will be near. And yet, we say to ourselves in those same moments, how can I trust a God that I cannot see? I see the problems, I see the threats, but I can't see God. And I'm sure in a very real sense, in a simple sense, this might have been the fear of the sheep as well. In the darkness of those valleys at night, they can't see the shepherd and are worried about the sounds of the predators in the distance. They're worried about the sound of the stream. Maybe it's rising. They're worried that they may stumble and fall. <coughs> but the sheep somehow learn through experience that though they cannot see the shepherd, the shepherd is also not distant. That's what we've learned through our experiences. You've all had immunizations, but you never saw the antibodies. You had to trust that what they stuck in your arm actually had what you needed. And you knew what they were giving you was protecting you against very real risks. The same is true with gravity. We assume that gravity operates the same all the time, that it's constantly focused and doing what it's supposed to do. It's effective. We bank our lives on it. We totally understand that the power that we cannot see will make an a difference in the life that we can see. And so, our great invisible God is as real as anything else in our reality. His invisibility makes him no less real. So don't believe that myth. He's no less powerful. He's no less present because you can't see him. He is, the scriptures tell us, like the wind. The wind that blows where it pleases and chooses the wind that makes things happen. He is close, not distant. He cares. He can be trusted even in the valley of the shadow of death. So, one final thought about these amazingly, amazing and yet familiar words. Did you note the intimacy of them? Did you note how carefully the pronouns were chosen in Psalm 23? It is not though we walk through the valley, it is though I walk through the valley. My shepherd, it says, you are there it's this one-to-one -one relationship. 
And as I thought about that, I was reminded of a conversation that I've had many times with my wife. <coughs> I've told her <clears throat> that when I die, she needs to be there. She needs to be there comforting me as I get ready to pass into that next reality. Because, you see, we've known each other our whole lives. We have been in love and in marriage since we were kids, basically. And so my thought is, look, when my day comes, when my life is ending, and I know that there are circumstances that I can't control, but if I can, I want her there with me by my side. But the truth is, death is a journey that not even a lover can share. It's a valley that we walk through alone because it is not wide enough for another to walk with us. It's the one valley that we go through on our own. Except for this one point, there is room for the shepherd who is our Lord. He's always there. He sticks closer than our best friends. Closer than my wife. Because the psalm tells us It is about I and you and him. So when you walk through that deep and dark valley of fear, claim him as your shepherd. Trust him to get you through that place, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death itself. Because when he is so trusted, he will be there for us, and we will fear no evil, and we will know him just in that reality. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that though we live so often in fear, you have not abandoned us. We are not alone. Forgive us for the ways that we cling to that fear instead of you. And help us to yet again experience the reality of your presence. Right now, right here, God, that you would settle your spirit on us in such a way that we are absolutely assured that we are not alone. Thank you, God, that the valleys aren't the ending place. And God, I just pray right now for those who are in a valley, that you would let them know of your care, protection, and comfort, and that we as brothers and sisters might surround them with your grace and love. And God, for those who have come out on the other side, who now know the joy of being in your light. We just say thank you again. Thank you that though life is hard and filled with pain, it is not all there is. Your reality defines us. And for that, we continue to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, sometimes this happens where uh, we'll be planning a certain song and then you just really feel the spirit moving in a different direction. And as Father Jonathan was talking about how Jesus is our shepherd um, in in Psalm 23, there's one of my favorite Christian writers, Fernando Ortega, uh, took the words of Jesus in the gospel, I am the good shepherd, and uh, put them to music. And so my hope is that as we continue to think about this idea of Jesus is our shepherd, he walks with us through all of these valleys. Um, that these words would come and, and enter into your heart in a new way this morning. This is the Good Shepherd.
I know. 